Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Bucks need to reach the 45-yard line from the 42. Here's the snap. Pressure coming from the outside. Brady throws it back. Hot ball first out of the 50. Outside the numbers, 40. To the 30-yard line. To the 25. It's Perriman. Bashad Perriman. Touchdown Tampa Bay. Box win in overtime. Perriman. 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 And that was the ending to a great game, unexpectedly great game between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Buffalo Bills. The Bucs had the huge lead. They tried to blow it Viking style. They did blow it and then ultimately pulled off the victory in overtime. It's Mike along with Mike, Week 14, Pro Football Talk Live, Peacock, NBCSN, Sirius XM 85 podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And hello and happy holidays to our friends who watched the program on Sky Sports UK and Ireland. Mike Golick joins us from undisclosed location in Green Bay after calling the Bears-Packers game last night for Westwood One. Another one that got nutty for a while. Mike, good morning. Uh, Welcome back. Great to see you. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Good to see you as well. Yeah, it was uh, what a crazy day as I was waiting for my game, watching the other games. I mean, it looked like blowout city everywhere and then all of a sudden teams are coming back and it's like I, I I think it's kind of encapsules the season that we just don't know what's going on week to week you know to see these big leads given up first it's kind of surprising that some of these good teams are getting blown out and then the comebacks that they make uh starting off with this Bills and Buccaneers one which was incredible but at the end of the day it's just you know Tom Brady with another win over the Buffalo Bills something he's done a whole lot in his career but it got really really exciting yeah, I think I saw yesterday his record is 33-3 and three against yeah. the Bills in his career, which is just obscene and very upsetting if you're a Bills fan. And think about how you have to feel if you're a Bills fan. Last Monday night, they have to deal with the Patriots, and then short week on the road, they have to deal with the longtime Patriots quarterback, and they emerge from those experiences 0-2, now 7-6 and after the 4-1 and start. When you consider... That they're seven and six, and Michael David Smith pointed this out earlier today. The Falcons are six and seven. The Broncos are seven and six. I mean, the Bills have just kind of sunken back to the pack after looking like the only dominant team early in the year. But that's why they play seventeen games, not just five, not just six. But the whole season is going to show us who is good, who is not good, and a lot of them are going to cluster together. But for the Bucks, they're starting to separate from the cluster. Four straight wins. And uh, they're looking they're looking pretty good right now. And you look at the rest of their schedule, and we're at the point in the season where I think it's very relevant to look at the rest of the schedule. The, the Bucks have a manageable path. They last lost against Washington coming out of their bye. They've kicked it in since then. And that one seed is there for the grass. Between them, the Packers, and the Cardinals, that scrum for the one seed is going to be fun to watch down the stretch. No, hey, listen, it really is. You know, the Cardinals playing tonight against the Rams and all the Packer fans as we'll get into rooting for the Rams on this one because the Packers hold that head-to-head advantage over Arizona as those three teams seem to be the teams fighting 
uh, for the number one seed. But we listen, we saw Tampa Bay go to Green Bay last year and get the win before they won in the Super Bowl. So we know they could do it. Still, the Packers would love to host up here because while it was a nice night last night, you never know. In January, there could be six feet of snow. I mean, and it could be a, a real advantage for them. But I mean, look at Tampa Bay. What beat New Orleans next week? First division crown since 07, which seems kind of irrelevant to say since they came in not winning the division last year and won the Super Bowl. And that's really all that matters. But to get that division crown that they hadn't won, uh, like I said, since 07 would be a, a pretty big thing for them. And and listen, the, the, the game yesterday, what, what I found, Mike, over the season, it's been an unpredictable season, but there have been two predictable routes that have been run this year in the NFL. It's the play action boot right uh, uh, play and the crossing routes. They, they are the big routes in the NFL right now. And that last play with Perriman, you saw that. I mean, it was a crossing route. He was the only one going left to right. Everybody else was on the other side of the field drawing all the defense away. So he was alone over there. So all he needed was a step on the defender, which he had. And it was clear sailing because of the crossing route and the way they run them or the way they run those routes. So, I mean, th this, this is the NFL right now. And there's a reason why everybody else on the offense was on the other side of the field and clearing this one out for Perriman the whole way it worked to an absolute, just how they drew it up in practice. And one of the realities as well, when you see a receiver being covered by a guy with the number 49, that's also an advantage. And in, in a league that is driven so much by matchups now, if you can find a favorable matchup where you get a receiver covered by a linebacker, and uh, let's make sure who it is so we call out the right person. Oh, it's Tremaine Edmonds. Edmonds, oh, yeah. I almost said a word I shouldn't say. I mean, yeah, you should not have. That reminds me of the night three years ago when Anthony Barr ended up covering receivers on multiple occasions and Todd Gurley once in a shootout between the Rams and the Vikings. I mean, you put that linebacker on a receiver, what do you expect? And that's Tom Brady's 22 years of experience. That probably was, to a certain extent, a setup once they saw that they could get that matchup, and then off Brashad Perryman goes. And the, the, the hustle award of the entire month goes to the guy who works for the Buccaneers, who emerges out of nowhere to get that ball, because that ball was touchdown pass regular season, postseason for Tom Brady, number 700. Can we show that again at the very end? And you can see the legs coming across <laughs> the back of the end zone, sprinting across. There he comes. The ball's on the ground. He's like, hey, whoa, hey. Now, now, I guess there's a chance he doesn't really work for the Buccaneers. Uh, and and it just, <laughs> I'm going to act like I do, and I'm taking that ball with me. But I think the more logical explanation, Mike, this is a reaction to what happened when Brady set yeah. the all-time passing touchdown record and Mike Evans gave the ball to a fan. That ball wasn't going to a fan. There was going to be no tickets, no jerseys, no Bitcoin, no nothing. They were not going to give that ball to somebody and have to go bribe their way to getting it back. I think they were well more prepared for this one and knew what was going on. Now, again, we think that kid works for Tampa Bay. If we see that ball up on eBay <laughs> in a little while, we're, we're going to know it's, it's a different story. But I think they'll be prepared. I mean, Brady, Brady what, set the record for most completions. I mean, he's just going to keep going and going and own everything by the time he's done. But to your point, after the Mike Evans, hey, here, fan, take this ball that is – meaningless to me, <laughs> uh, but not to Tom Brady. Yeah, I think they're going to avoid that in the future and be ready for all. You know, just be smart. Any touchdown pass he throws or anytime he rushes for whatever, just get the football and decide later what you want to do with it. Well, every touchdown pass he throws from now on is yes. a new record. That's the thing. Who cares about the one that he – that, that was given to the fan. Yeah, the next one's a new record, and then a new record, and now this one, and now there'll be another one, and then there'll be another one. I mean, he's going to have footballs out the wazoo if he all of a sudden has decided he's going to get sentimental and try to collect all of these footballs. He's going to need a house, just a, a warehouse, just to put the damn footballs in. Um, he, he also is not bashful about running. Now, usually when you see Tom Brady do the Tin Man routine, and you know, I've said from time to time that when, when he runs, I feel like we should have John Facenda's voice narrating a slow-mo NFL film segment because it's just kind of lumbering. But hey, 
The guy's 44, and he's out there among guys half his age. He, he, he runs and he slides. This is where he gets the slide in like he did a few weeks ago in the Monday night game. Kind of a late slide. A little dangerous for him. This is the one that gets people nervous because this is where you don't want to be embracing contact at 44, dropping the helmet, putting the ball out there. Mike, I, hey, I say it all the time. For quarterbacks, you got to avoid contact because the more contact you take, the greater the chance you're going to get injured. And when you're Tom Brady... And that arm's going to last into your 50s. The rest of your body's what you got to worry about. It's a little surprising to see him give in to the moment and, and embrace contact when he knows that he's at enhanced risk, uh, risk of getting himself banged up. Hey, listen, I'm not surprised at all, Mike. I mean, there are times to be smart, and there are times when you have to put your head down and get the first down. So, And Tom's been around to know enough. Listen, Tom looks the same he did at 25 and 35 and 44, 45. I mean, he, he ran like a tin man then, and he runs like a tin man now, but he's pretty, he does a great quarterback sneak. Obviously, we've seen him score or get many first downs that way. But every now and then, you got to try and get the yards. For the most part, I, I agree. Stay out of harm's way, especially for a non mobile quarterback like Tom. But sometimes you got to get the yards, and, all the, and he's smart enough to know the situation during a game. When do I need a first down? When do I need to actually try? and get those extra yards as opposed to giving myself up. So, listen, at, at this point, I don't know how we don't defer all the time to Tom. And, and it does. You do cringe when he is trying to get those extra yards and he takes that shot because he's a 44-year-old man getting hit by younger players who have, you know, violence on their mind, you know, that he's going to get up after that. But, like I said, I think he's doing the same things he did 20 years ago, uh, knowing the difference of when I need to really – take the chance of getting hit and when I need to just slide. Well, and I show that for two reasons. Number one, the the younger players, the defensive players, I think are beginning to realize that they don't have to tiptoe on eggshells around the quarterback once he decides to run the football. And we're seeing more and more physicality inflicted upon quarterbacks who choose to abandon all protections for roughing the passer. And secondly, although... The rest of us may be inclined to defer to Tom Brady. There's one person in a position of some authority. The full extent of his authority remains the subject of reasonable debate. (laughs) But Buccaneers coach Bruce Arians, not a fan of Tommy getting knocked around. Here he is from after yesterday's game. Seems like every other week Tom Brady is achieving some other milestone this week he, he I can't keep up with him. I know well, I, I don't think any of us really can but what, what can you say about him and his longevity in the sport and the fact that he's just continuing to do this at such a high level I don't think there'll be any records left when he's done he sacrificed his body to get that first down I mean he took a hit yeah that's enough of that but <laughs> 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 it's you know it's a reality and 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 let's flip it around because we saw the Bills, who, whose offense, especially the running game to complement Josh Allen, has been abysmal. They didn't even try yesterday to establish the run with the running backs. But Josh Allen had his first 100-yard rushing performance since his rookie season. And I noticed after his rookie season, the Bills were more judicious about exposing Josh Allen to injury, and they didn't let him run as much until they got to the postseason against the Texans that year. Remember that game? They are up 16-0. It was Josh Allen doing everything until that lead fell apart and the Texans won in overtime. But yesterday, you know, they're feeling the desperation now. They really did let Allen go, and he's walking around with a boot on his left foot after the game because of it. That's the balance. That's the risk. That's the problem when you embrace allowing your quarterback to be mobile and physical. Well, again, you saw him run his first year. We talked more about his legs and his arm. But then all of a sudden, you know, you saw him striking a lot to Stephon Diggs last year, and they thought, okay, we got this passing game going. His completion percentage is going up, so we're going to sparingly use his legs and we're going to use his arm more, but they seem to be better when it's a mixture of both. Difference is he's not an avoider of hits like a Kyler Murray, like a Lamar Jackson, uh, even though we'll talk about Lamar, who ended up leaving the game. But for the most part, we know how those guys can avoid hits. Josh Allen is a big man who was is an unbelievably dangerous runner, but he's going to get tagged. 
He's not juking anybody. He is going to, he's more apt to run over somebody and drop his shoulder than juke somebody. And he's very dangerous doing it, but he's going to take more hits than the normal running quarterback. And he's effective. And we saw it yesterday. That's, that's the reason they came back was he basically did his thing again, where he throws caution to the wind and he just takes off and he runs the ball. That seems to be when they're at their best. But then you run that risk of him being in a boot or all of a sudden getting a shot to the shoulder or the ribs or whatever. But this is the way they're going to win. So right now they can't hide from that fact. They have a young, incredible quarterback who has improved so much throwing the ball, but is still such a double threat running the ball that it has to be part of their offense still. And he understands that. They understand it. Would they rather not do it? Hell yeah, they would rather not do it. But they're in a position, especially now, as you mentioned, four and one to start, three and five uh, since then. They've lost a couple in a row. They find themselves in the seventh slot with the next teams right outside looking in, all with the same record. I mean, in both conferences, it's just bunched up, you know, after that seventh slot of who's going to get in the playoffs. So, you know, it doesn't matter what you want to do in Buffalo. It's got down to a point of what you have to do if you want to make a move in the playoffs or even get there. Steve Kornacki returned to Football Night in America for the first time this season last night, and the percentage for making the playoffs for the Bills has dipped to 66, winning the division all the way down to 22. The reason it's so high to make it at 7-6, and six, Panthers at the Patriots, Falcons, and then finally they end the season against the Jets. So the Bills should go, and I know I said earlier the Falcons are 6-7, and seven, and hey, the Panthers, you never know what you're going to get out of them, and they've got Cam Newton unless they don't, and we'll talk about that coming up, but they should go 3-1. and one. They should go 3-1 and one to finish 10-7, and seven, and that should be enough to get one of the three wildcard berths, but look at how the numbers have changed for the Buffalo Bills over the past two weeks, and you know, between a week ago today, they were 7-4. They were and four. And that's what happens when you get the tough game against the Patriots and then you have to go to Tampa Bay. Uh, and I'm sure Bill's fans were dreading that week. And here they are seven and six. And uh, it, 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 I think it's so difficult when you get off to a great start and you get visions of Super Bowl dancing in the heads of your fans to have it disintegrate. I think it's better to start one and four. And then find the gas pedal and create hope on the fly, as opposed to that, that just that sense of it's falling apart. But they still can put it back together. They still can get to the playoffs. And they'll have that underdog vibe if they get there. You know, that, that, I don't know. You look for the positive where you can, but you, you can catch fire and you can maybe steal a game here or there and, and build your way toward the Super Bowl and do it the hard way like the Buccaneers had to do it last year. You know, and, and you want to be playing your best football by the time you get to the playoffs. Again, that's why we see wildcard teams at times win the Super Bowl, non-division winners win the Super Bowl, because they're peaking at the right time. Buffalo's going in the other direction right now, so we'll see. Listen, this loss is less surprising, though, the beginning of it being down 24 to 3 at half and having to come back, you know, and take this one to overtime made it more impressive. The loss to New England last week, to me, and we talked about it, was a little more, and I would put the word it embarrassing, being a former defensive lineman and playing in a game where you know the team's going to run, they know they're going to run, you know they're going to run, and you still can't stop them from running was was absolutely amazing to me. This one, you know, I, I expected a little more score like this, not the way it went to be down that much and have to make a comeback to send it to overtime, but this one, you never accept a loss, but, but I can understand this one more to who you were playing. You know, in Tampa Bay, even though you were playing a team that was hot in New England, I get it. But so far away from a game plan of only three throws, passes on the offense, and you got beaten run on for over 200 yards was absolutely amazing. So, yeah, they're going the wrong way right now. You talk about one and four and being hot late. The best thing about that is the fact, again, how hot are you going into the playoffs? And they have a little less than a handful of games left, obviously. So you can turn that around and you can be playing your best ball because I'm with you. I think they're going to make the playoffs. I think they have the record to do it with 10 wins. Though one year I was 10 and six in Philly and we didn't make the playoffs. It certainly can happen. We'll have to see. But I think they're going to get in. And then it's a matter of how they play because right now they're a bit, you know, like their record. You know, when you're when you're one game over 500, that means you're playing some good and you're playing some bad. And we've certainly seen both out of Buffalo. 
Yeah, we're dealing with this new reality of 17 games. We don't know what it's going to take to get in. How many losses or too many losses? We've seen a team as good as 11-5, and five, the 2008 Patriots, not get in in a six-team per conference field. But we're up to seven and 17 games. Does 9-8 and eight get you in? Could 8-9 and nine get you in? We'll see how that all plays out as the final four weeks unfold but I feel like every week is going to have huge swings in those percentages that Steve Kornacki will be calculating on the fly and a win is going to give you a huge boost and a loss is going to hurt dramatically as the season continues I want to flip it back to the Bucks before we move on Rashad Perryman makes that game-winning touchdown catch and run in overtime we're a week away from Antonio Brown coming back and I don't know what they're going to do. They said they don't know what they're going to do. As of last week, I heard they were at least considering cutting him. Now, is that just one last way to get his attention and make sure he doesn't do anything else stupid over the course of the balance of the season? But it's a zero-sum game with a 53-man roster in the NFL. When Antonio Brown and Mike Edwards come back, Edwards, one of the key safeties on that team, somebody's got to go. They have to make a roster move. And Perryman is the guy that they added to the practice squad back in late October, early November time frame. He became the replacement for A.B. So Rashad Perriman has that big play, game-winning catch and run in an overtime contest. Has to be gaining some trust for Tom Brady. He was with the, the Bucks and had a good season in 2019 before Brady came there. You just have to wonder what the push and pull is, Mike, behind the curtain on whether or not they welcome back AB or just say, hey, BP's our guy now. Yeah, well, listen, we had heard uh, Bruce Arians earlier, and I know you, you had, we had talked about this earlier, way earlier, saying <clears throat> if there was one issue with Antonio Brown, they were going to cut him. Well, this certainly was an issue, uh, a, a different issue for sure, but a guy who's had issues. But a guy who, since he's been with Tampa, has pretty much stayed out of the limelight, you know, hasn't said or done anything really bad and, and has come out and he's performed on the field. Now, this obviously, you know, you know, irked the NFL and was wrong to do and, you know, paid the price for it with uh, with what happened with the suspension. But the bottom line is if they if they're not going to cut him, he's going to be out there playing because while, while Perriman did what he did, you know, there were 46 passes by Brady last night. And Perriman was targeted twice and had the one reception. And that was it. It was a huge one. Obviously, went for a touchdown, a winning touchdown in this game. But it's not like he was, you know, as opposed to Godwin, who was targeted 15 times uh, in this game. It's not like he was a monster part of the offense. But, you know, Brady finds these type of guys when necessary. So I don't know the move they're going to make. But I do know if they're not cutting Antonio Brown, Antonio Brown is going to come back and be a big part of that offense. And, And you know what? There's a middle ground that occurred to me earlier today. What they could do is they could they could keep him but just put him on ice until they absolutely need him, if they ever absolutely need him, because they have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Rob Gronkowski and other options in that passing game. But if they have a rash of injuries into the postseason and then you're kind of forced to embrace A.B., but until then you're on double-secret probation and we're just not going to dress you on Sundays. We're going to keep sending a message to you about how we feel about what you did, but we're going to reserve the right to pull the ripcord if we have to. Because the reality is, Mike, if you cut a guy, he's always going to get a second chance if he's good enough. You want that guy to get his second chance with you and not with somebody else, especially not with somebody that you may encounter on the road to L.A. for the Super Bowl. Yeah, listen, I, I, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think uh, they, they probably would have done that already. I, I believe maybe, maybe not. I don't know. You may know better than, than me on that one. Uh, but I, I don't think they're going to get rid of him. And I think when he's ready to come back, I get what you're saying about putting him on ice and waiting. But, you know, here's a team that's looking to win the first division since 07. Here's a team that's looking for a high seed. So, and, and this is pro sports, man. If you If you decide you're keeping someone – that talented, I think you're damn well going to play them. You know, I, I don't, this isn't college or high school where you say, I'm going to send that message and sit you, you know, he's still going to get paid. So is, is, is that working in the NFL? Is all of a sudden he going to, you know, say, Oh, I've learned my lesson, you know, for having, you know, a, a fake vax card, you know, by you sitting me. I, I, I think if, if you're not getting rid of the guy and he's active and ready to go, I think he's a guy that's going to play. 
One final point before we move on. Can we show the graphic of the playoff picture in the NFC? Because, Mike, you're absolutely right as it relates to the Packers chasing down the Cardinals. We'll use this to bridge toward the Packers-Bears game. The Packers need to keep winning, and all they need is the Cardinals to slip up once because in a head-to-head tiebreaker between the Cardinals and the Packers, the Packers win thanks to that Thursday night epic from Week 8. However, if it's Cardinals, Packers, Bucks all with the same record, the head-to-head doesn't matter until we resolve the three-way down to a two-way between the Packers and the Cardinals. And I currently don't know how the pieces are going to fall together if you get Cardinals, Packers, Bucks all with the same record because the Bucks didn't play the Cardinals and the Bucks didn't play the Packers and they don't play either team. So head-to-head doesn't matter as the first tiebreaker if you get three at the table. It's conference record first, record in common games next, and if it ever does result with one team falling out and the other team with better records in those categories, then it becomes a two-way tiebreaker. But just something to remember because Packers-Cardinals, simple to resolve. Packers-Cardinals-Bucks, a little bit harder to resolve if they're tied when we get to the end of the season and other factors will come into play. But the Packers needed to keep winning. It looked like they weren't going to keep winning last night at times. But this roller coaster of points, this nonstop explosion with all the points we saw in the second quarter, the Packers end up beating the Bears and holding on to cover the spread. That's one of those ah. things that holds the rating late in the game. The Bears had a couple of chances to beat the number of minus 12 with the Packers being the big favorites, but the Packers win the game. 24 straight points in the second half, pulling away to get to 10-3. and three. That had to be something, Mike, in the building as the Packers come out in the second half and just take charge of the game. Well, it was a little bit of a shocker <clears throat> at first what was going on with, with Chicago jumping out to a 10 nothing lead. But, but again, you know, Matt LaFleur in his first two years, he's 0-2 after the bye. So, you know, and, and every team will do this. It doesn't matter when your buy is. It could be the first buy of the season or like, like Green Bay, the last buy. You always justify the buy came at the perfect time. You know, oh, man, did we need this? This was the time for it. Green Bay's had it. But again, the last two years, they've lost after the buy, and they were going this way. You had to give Chicago credit that defense held together by duct tape and chicken wire with all the injuries <clears throat> that they've had. And the guys that are out, we thought Akeem Hicks was going to play. Then he didn't play. But they came out playing well. Justin Fields came out playing well. The return, Jakeem Grant, what he was doing, returning punts, had that 97-yard punt return for a touchdown, which is a Bears record, uh, was incredible. It really gave them an incredible first half to lead 27-21 with a whole lot of head shaking of what's going on. But you just kind of felt that Green Bay is the better team overall, and they were going to show it. I would imagine the the special teams meeting in at halftime, and I asked Devontae Adams about it. He's not involved in special teams, but I'm sure he could probably hear the yelling at halftime going on of what was happening <clears throat> with the special teams of Green Bay. But that's really what kept Chicago in the game. They were looking good offensively and defensively as well. Had the lead. I think they hit the over uh, in the first half for, half for those you know who so want to want to get involved in that. But then think about this. I mean, the, the the Packers put up 45 in this game and didn't score a point in the first quarter. So they put up 45 points in three quarters. It just shows you how quickly they can get the job done. And, and this was a tale of two, two teams anyway, one fighting for their pass the division, fighting for that number one seed, and the other in the Chicago Bears wondering what the future is going to be. Is the same staff going to be here next year? Is it going to be a new staff? Is Justin Fields in his second year going to be working on a second, uh, you know, offense that he has to learn? Because at times he looked really good. But I, I said this at the beginning of the year, Mike, and, and I stand by it, both in San Francisco and Chicago. I would have started Garoppolo and I would have started Andy Dalton. You had two teams that you wanted to see, especially with their defenses, would, would they make a run at the playoffs? And then if they're not going to, you put the other quarterbacks in. Well, we see where San Fran is, but for the Bears, definitely time to play Justin Fields. And he came into this game as the second lowest rated quarterback in the league behind Zach Wilson. And again, I don't say that as a negative. I just say that as a reality to rookie quarterbacks. It's more the rule than the Matt Jones exception that's going on right now. 
He's going to look great, and he did. He does things, Mike, getting out of the backfield, escaping trouble, making plays, but then he does things that a rookie does. He makes those mistakes. But I'm glad he's out there now, you know, as the Bears are just playing for the future right now, just to see what he's going to do and how he's going to mature and how the game is going to be for him going into next year. We know what the Packers are, and also the Packers are doing this because you don't know how much longer you have Aaron Rodgers to do this. But for the Bears, you know, uh, uh, Jason Peters gets hurt at left tackle. Tevin Jenkins, their second-round pick, the rookie, comes in. That's a guy they're going to rely on. He struggled when he got in there. But now we got some reps. You know, they're they're building for the future. Whatever that future is going to be from a coaching staff, you know some of the young players that are going to be on that team. The most important position is quarterback. And the Bears have theirs in Justin Fields. And he could be a special, special player. But, you know, he's going through the learning curve of being a rookie right now. But Mike, you hit the nail on the head, the idea that he possibly is going to be breaking in with a new coaching staff, a new offense, possibly a head coach that will say all the right things in order to get the five-year or four-year guaranteed contract. But then once he gets there, he's got somebody else in mind to play quarterback. He was never really a Justin Fields guy in the run-up to the draft. You just never know. I mean, unless it's Peyton Manning and Tony Dungy walking into the Indianapolis facility in 2002. It's like, hey, how you feel about Peyton Manning? Well, I want Peyton Manning. I mean, uh, unless you've established yourself as a short-lived franchise quarterback, there's a chance that a new coach may not be as warm and fuzzy about you as the coach who traded up to draft you will be. And and this is why with the Bears, there's just this this ooze of dysfunction that, that – it's like, hey, folks, if you authorize giving up next year's first-round pick to move up to get a quarterback, you you can't clean house after one year. That's not going to help your quarterback develop. And then you're going to set him back again, and then who knows what's going to happen moving forward. And and so we'll know in four weeks or thereabouts. We may know sooner than that because of the rule this year that allows teams to begin interviewing candidates from other coaching staffs as long as – their coach is gone or knows he's going to be gone with two weeks left in the regular season. So we're four weeks from the traditional Black Monday, although it starts earlier, just like Black Friday starts earlier. It could start two weeks earlier with teams getting in on the opportunity to interview assistants in the final two weeks of the regular season. And that may be when we get our clarity about Matt Nagy, that the Bears are going to be looking elsewhere but Mike I I just I I I wish for Justin Fields that he gets some continuity and consistency and doesn't have to start all over again next year and and I think on the other the other there's always the other side of the coin the thought is this guy's only in his first year we're going to move on from this and listen I I never want anybody to lose their job but you know that's that's fool's gold we know it's it's going to happen Matt Nagy came in as an offensive guy. This is his fourth year. He's never been higher than 21st in total offense. So, you know, it's just, it's not getting done. So I think the other side of that coin is going to be, while we have this young quarterback still kind of moldable and things to learn, you know, uh, do we bring in somebody more for the long haul and then give him some consistency? Instead of keeping the consistency of just one year and going forward with, an offense that hasn't really clicked over the last few years. Do we break this thing up? And even though he, Justin would have to start with a new group, we think going forward, it would be the right thing. Cause we've seen it before, you know, a young quarterback come in with a coaching staff or with a head coach <clears throat> that, that brought him in. And then the next year is going to be gone because it's just not working. And I, I thought this was going to happen even at the beginning of the season, talking about this. And unfortunately for Matt Nagy and, and his group, I think it's going to happen here, and I think that's what they're going to do. I, I do think Justin Fields looks like he has a bright future with what he can do. Again, he's a rookie making rookie mistakes, but at this point when they're not playing for anything, he's out there learning. This is the best time. Get your reps. Listen, he's gotten his, his nose bloodied, his eyes watered. He's gotten three cracked ribs, um, and that's what happens. You know, you get knocked around, and how do you come out of it the other end? And, uh, and I think uh, Justin has a, has a pretty high ceiling. We'll get back to the game in a second, but one last point I'd like to make because I was surprised by the reporting yesterday from CBS that the Bears have spoken to Trace Armstrong, a former first-round pick of the Bears, played in the NFL like 15 or 16 years, has over 100 sacks on his resume, became an agent 
Reportedly, the Bears talked to him about taking over their football operations. Now, he denied it. He represents Matt Nagy. The report was couched as, hey, he would come in and make all these changes and hire Ryan Day from Ohio State, one of his clients. We also represents Nagy, so it would be a little bit awkward for Trace Armstrong to take that gig. Again, he denied it, but it, it, it resonates with me because if this is something the Bears are thinking about, I wonder how high up it goes because we... You know, we assume that if Nagy goes, GM Ryan Pace is going to go. But Ted Phillips, the president of the team, he's got one of these gigs in the NFL, Mike, where the spotlight is never really on you when the team isn't any good. Now, when it is good, you can find a way to ease your way into it and take credit. But Ted Phillips has survived in that organization for four decades. He's been the team president since 1999. He doesn't have much success to show for all these coaches and GMs he's hired. If you're talking about bringing in somebody new to run football operations, it makes me wonder, is Phillips finally going to get moved out of the picture? Because some would argue he's the common denominator between the Bears and all these struggles over the years. So that's why that that report really caught my eye. Are they thinking about really blowing it up and starting over? And I think that would make plenty of Bears fans happy because they're just not all that satisfied, obviously, where things currently are. Yeah, and then you wonder if they're going to do that, if they're going to bring in somebody new, do they give that person the power to say, I want to keep the staff or I want to get a new staff, including a a GM, or are you brought in under the premise, hey, we're bringing you in and you're getting everybody new. So it just depends the marching orders that it's talked about if they do, in fact, hire someone like that. Aaron Rodgers, toe injury. He badly wanted some time off to help it get better. He had the 14 days. But here he is after the game, and it's obvious this is something that's going to linger because when you're out there with a bunch of large men with cleats on, there's always a chance someone's going to step on that broken left pinky toe. Here's Rodgers. Yeah, Aaron, you said the, the toe felt better, you know, after the bye week last week, not having to play a game. How does it feel after this one? And does it feel better than it has after the last couple of games? Yeah, it feels worse. Uh, I don't know what kind of setback uh, that I had tonight, but I will look at it tomorrow. I definitely, uh, definitely take a step back tonight. I'm telling you, for a guy who gets so pissy, pardon me, about – you know, the, the idea that maybe some people on the staff are talking about his medical information. There's no, he's, he's self-violating HIPAA every time he talks about the thing. I mean, you may as well just tattoo a bullseye on your left pinky toe and, you know, and he just accidentally, hey, I think I thought there was a cigarette on the field. I'm sorry. I'm trying to stomp it out. Sorry. Sorry. I hit your toe. I, I'm just uh, this transparency is just bizarre to me because you don't want to incentivize defensive players to find a way to accidentally step on your foot yeah listen uh, the toe's not going to get any better it's just not I mean there's he can sit there and not practice during the week like he's done before but he's going to play in that game he's going to run around on that toe he's going to hit it on stuff it's going to get stepped on now you know you sit there and talk about defenders can they aim for his toe that's that's a tough spot to aim for now and I'm not going to sit here and say that never happens because it does uh but but that's something that that would happen in a pile you know, where you're accidentally, as you're getting up, just kind of step on that toe. And I'd imagine that there might be some guys that might aim for something like that. But the bottom line is, it's not going to get better. But it certainly doesn't seem to be affecting him too much. He's got to deal with right. the pain or they or they numb it up, you know, whatever way it goes, because it's a pinky toe, not a big toe. But, I mean, the guy is ridiculous. You know what he's doing? Another four touchdowns and no interceptions. I mean, they're the only team in the league right now that has no turnovers in their division. I mean, they just turned it on in the second half after kind of a slow first half and just opened up the floodgates, which we thought they would do on the Bears. So, you know, the, the, the ending of the game wasn't a surprise that they won this game. The beginning was a little more of a surprise. But this is all about going forward. This is all about playing where you're going to be seated. And this is about the health. Uh, but if you're telling me some of the issues that, you know, injuries that, that uh, Aaron Rodgers has had in the past, I'll take the pinky toe. All right. <laughs> Give me the pinky toy. Everybody is hurt now. There is not one player, there is not one person associated with the game of football, except for you now, Mike, that is 100%. Everybody <laughs> I am 100%. Is That's yes, right. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Everybody is nicked up right now to something that they're dealing with for the rest of the year. 
but they're not all one of the most famous quarterbacks who talks about it. For the most part, you're not going to know it, or you'll see it on an injury report for those that look at injury reports about what people are dealing with. Everybody's dealing with it. And here's another little secret. It ain't getting better for anybody. If you got a bad shoulder, your shoulder's staying bad. If you got a tweaked knee, it ain't getting much better. You just play with it. That's what you do. That's attrition in the NFL. It happens every single year. And that's why the healthiest teams, as healthy as you can be, at the end of the year, usually of the better teams are usually the ones that come out of the gate and win the Super Bowl. So he can talk about his pinky. We all know about his pinky. So it doesn't matter if he talks about it anymore. We know he's got a bad pinky toe. And you know, if they go all the way to the Super Bowl, he's going to have a bad pinky toe then as well. That's just the way it is. And, and what's amazing is, as you said, it's not affecting him. That that So I, I, I'm always a little leery about the gratuitous myth-making that happens in sports and everybody wants to be Willis Reed or Michael Jordan in the flu game or the food poisoning game or whatever the hell that was. You know, a little of that Ben Roethlisberger embellishment getting sprinkled in. I, it's, it's just odd to me. Like, you don't need to – if it's not affecting you, you really don't need to be talking about it. And why are you talking about it other than to maybe help stir up some – extra praise like Aaron Rodgers doesn't need any extra praise he's already one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history to do it and if he wants us all to be impressed that he's doing it with a broken pinky toe that doesn't seem to be affecting him in any way but it's creating pain at a time when most of the guys on the field have pain then bravo Uh, I will say this though if they play the Bucs in the playoffs especially if they play at Lambeau Field Mike you may remember this from a few years back and Dominican Sue his feet tend to go numb can't be held responsible (laughs) for what his feet may do if they become numb on the frozen tundra. You never know what those feet are going to do if he can't actually feel them. And that that may be when there really is a bullseye on that pinky toe because, as you said, <laughs> it won't be 100% when the time comes for the postseason unfold. Let's take a break. We're going to pivot to the AFC, some of the big results that happened on the 14th Sunday of the 2021 regular season. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. The Cleveland Browns finished their bye week sandwich, went, which went Ravens by Ravens, basically a 14-day halftime adjustment period. They beat the Ravens, and there's Lamar Jackson suffering the ankle injury to his right foot. This is a legal play because he's out of the pocket. The protection against the low hits disappears when the quarterback evacuates the pocket. There he is being helped to the cart. He would have a boot on that ankle after the game. John Harbaugh said that there will be tests today. It's definitely a sprained ankle. I've seen some reporting that maybe it's low, maybe it's not. They don't know and won't know until they do the test. But that's horrible news for a Ravens team that, like, they are just holding it together through all these injuries. you got to give John Harbaugh all the credit in the world for just keeping this team together. This goes all the way back to preseason with J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, and it was one after another. They lost Marcus Peters. They've lost Marlon Humphrey more recently, and now they may be without Marcus, or, or excuse me, Lamar Jackson. And Tyler Huntley, a capable backup and 
actually made it interesting. So it's not like there's a gigantic drop-off, but still, Lamar Jackson's an MVP and kind of an MVP candidate still this year. But, boy, it feels like the Ravens are limping toward the finish line. Yeah, it does. But, boy, another one of those games where Cleveland had, what, a 24-6 lead at halftime, and and you thought they were going to cruise on to the victory even after Baltimore loses Lamar Jackson. And, again, absolutely legal hit, nothing wrong with it at all. Player trying to make a play, and that's just the way landed on his ankle. Certainly, you would rather have be a low ankle sprain than a high ankle sprain. We'll see. They only have the Green Bay Packers coming up this week, uh, and Green Bay fighting for the number one seed. So, you know, uh, right right into the fire here. Uh, but yeah, that, it's been a struggle. But but we've seen this with a number of teams. We 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 just talked about one of them. We anointed the Bills as the you know the kings of the AFC East from now on, and could they be the best team in the AFC? You know, seven and six, 13 games in later, here we are, and they're trying to hang on to a playoff spot. Baltimore has seen their, has seen their lead diminish now, just one loss, you know, ahead of Cleveland, a team they split with, as you mentioned, you know, with the last two games with just a buy-in between. So it's getting close. Baltimore, the fourth seed of, of all the division winners right now, the lowest. So, yeah, and now we just wait and see. Huntley is a capable backup, make no mistake. But for where Baltimore wants to go, and we've seen Baltimore obviously struggle in the playoffs, you got to have Lamar Jackson. I mean, you have to. So it's now, is he going to miss time? And if he misses time, what can this team do? Where does this team end up by the time he comes back? Because again, it's just about getting into the playoffs. They're not one of the teams, it, it seems at this point, though they're not far off on losses because all the teams in the AFC, I said they're fourth, from first through third, all have four losses. So it's not like Baltimore, if they could win some games, couldn't move up into the standings or into the seedings. But if they're not having Lamar Jackson, that's going to be tough again, especially with a team like Green Bay coming up. And then we just see two more division games with the Bengals and the Steelers. So we just have to kind of wait and see of where they are. We saw Colt McCoy play three games when Kyler Murray was out and go two and one. So let's see if Huntley has to play some games or if Lamar is going to be ready to go. But it's shaky. It's shaky in that division for sure. And we've seen Baltimore kind of be in the lead there and the teams below them kind of shifting. All of a sudden, Pittsburgh's looking good. Then Cincinnati's looking good. We thought Cleveland was going to be out of this. Now here they are, you know, right underneath as well. So it's, uh, it, it's shifting every single week. And that's not going to change when you look at the bottom part of both these conferences, that six, seven seed, and then those first three teams out basically with the same record. And we've seen it several times in week 14. We see it every week, a team that has an opponent on the ropes and fails to punch them through, and that's exactly what the Browns did. The Ravens covered the two-and-a-half-point spread for the many out there who care yeah. about such things and uh, it and made it very, very interesting late. 24-22 was the final. Here's Baker Mayfield, quarterback of the Browns, after the game regarding his frustration with the inability of the Browns to deliver that knockout punch. We did enough to win the game. Um, so that's, you know, check that box off. But um, got conservative. I think we need to, you know, put that team away. You know, we got ahead early. Um, just need to capitalize when the defense is playing like that and holding them to points. And we need to, you know, put it away. That's what good teams do. So we need to improve on that. But we were better in the red zone today and on third down. That's something that um, obviously I've talked to you guys about. So um, we just need to play better in those situations to put the game away. Got conservative. Well, who got conservative, Baker? Did you get conservative? Who got conservative? I'd like to know more about this frustration from Baker Mayfield, Mike, that they got conservative. Because it sounds like he's objecting to the approach, the play calling. You know, th there are clearly issues happening not very far below the surface in Cleveland. And even as Baker begins to become healthy, you can tell – there's something there. He's not a guy to mince words, but some things are better left for the meeting room, the film room, the practice field, because that just that's that's red meat for those of us who make a living looking for these issues to polish and massage and further explore and peel levels off of. Because there's there's obviously something there for him to blurt out. We got conservative because he's not talking about himself when he says that. No, listen, um, they're up, I said, 24 to 6 at halftime. They, they have a lead basically throughout this game and, and give Baltimore credit for coming back. Mark Andrews had an unbelievable game uh, for Baltimore. 
But we have seen many a team do this, Mike, right? Where they kind of go into a shell. They do get conservative and they try to not lose the game instead of put your foot on the throat and really make sure you secure the game. And then it's how you deal with it when you still win, but the other team makes a bit of a comeback. And listen, we, we've seen Baker talk before, especially early in his career about teammates that left or coaches that have left. And I think he's learned some things about, you know, managing what you say, but here you're, you're right. All, all this, you, what you don't want to be. And listen, the quarterback has to talk all the time. But one thing you try to avoid is saying something. That's why I, even though I've been in this business for a couple of decades, I still like it when, in all honesty, when an interview is boring. I've, I've always been that, that, that locker room guy. Give me the boring interview. Don't give them anything to latch on to because now that's what's going to happen. The reporters are going to go to Kevin Stefanski and said, your quarterback just is not happy. He said it got conservative. So what, how'd you get conservative? What, what's going on there? You know, and, and it's fair to ask. I mean, Baker said it, so that's what you do. That's what reporters are going to do. They're going to ask. And you're right. You don't you don't need it. Now, is it the difference of what's going to happen on the field? I doubt it. I really do. But why why even invite it in? That, that's what we always say. Why invite it in to the locker room? Because then other people are going to be asked it, not just the coach, other players. Hey, do you think the offense got conservative? Your quarterback said it got conservative. It didn't, did it? And now you put other people on the spot to have to answer it a certain way. It seems like a, a frustrated line, right? He's frustrated because they, they, they didn't end up putting this team away. And he, and he said what he said, one line. One line seems like eh, it's not that big a deal, but where it's going to go and who's going to be asked now will balloon this thing more, more than it should be for sure. Especially, Mike, because there was an interview of Baker Mayfield by Kurt Warner of NFL Network, and Kurt asked him about outside voices, outside criticism, and here's what Mayfield says. It comes down to trying to find an even balance of listening to those opinions around you that truly matter, friends, family, teammates, and that's been the tricky part about this year, has been a lot of internal things. It hasn't just been the outside noise. I have to be myself and try to do my job 100%. The guys that truly know me understand that. We need to take care of business in the building, and I need to be myself for these guys. Now, it does not take an advanced degree in linguistics or psychology to understand that there's something going on in Cleveland. And maybe it's Odo Beckham Jr. and the aftermath of that. Maybe there's some friction and resentment because Jarvis Landry doesn't have his good friend there anymore. I don't know. But this is all happening at a very tenuous time in the long-term relationship between the Browns and Baker Mayfield because he doesn't have a contract yet. How much are they going to pay him? What are they going to offer him? Is there going to be a huge gap between what they'll pay and what he wants? And how much of institutional fatigue is creeping in? How much Baker Mayfield can you take? Because my guess is... When you get him behind the scenes, he's a lot more vocal and a lot more strident and a lot more belligerent than what we see publicly. Well, listen, he, he I think he's like a lot of quarterbacks, confident in his abilities and confident in the situation and not afraid to speak up, you know, especially inside the building. And again, we're, we're not inside the building, so we don't know. But what I do know, having been inside buildings for a bunch of years in playing is you don't want to invite in more questions. You don't want to show any cracks at all that lets that lets the media or the outside world come into to see what can happen. Because you're not the only one, as I said before, you're not the only one that's going to answer the questions. You're going to say something, and how you say it uh, then leads to how other people are going to be asked. And when you're starting to talk about inside the building, and listen, there are going to be people out there that hear me say this, I, I had it for 20 years when I had a show of saying, well, you want these guys to be honest. I mean, I'd rather them be honest. And, I, and I'm like, I get it. If you're a fan or now I'm in the media, I want an answer like that because then you have something to talk about. You have something to dig. But I always think as a former player first, and my former player always says, be boring as hell. Say nothing. You know, let them ask their, their questions, be boring and get away and say, I got nothing out of that interview. But you know what? Some guys just have the personality. Baker has one where he, he's not afraid to just say stuff. You know, he'll he'll say things and, and people love that. We love that in the media because it leads us to talking about it. But it does invite. It doesn't just affect you because your teammates now are going to have to answer questions after you say something like that.
And Mike, we are going to see plenty of the seven and six Browns over the next few weeks. Saturday, Raiders at Cleveland, a Saturday game on NFL Network at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. Christmas Day, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, right where you are. Well, not actually in the hotel, but in yeah. Green Bay at the football stadium. Browns and Packers, what a Christmas gift that is. And then the following Monday night, the 3rd of January, the Ben Roethlisberger farewell game, at least as the regular season goes, the chances of the Steelers hosting a playoff game at this point, slim and almost none. So that'll be the last time Roethlisberger ever plays at Heinz Field. Three very high-profile, big platform, everyone-is-paying-attention games. This is not the ideal storyline that you want going into these three big games where there's something going on that Baker Mayfield's not happy about. Yeah, the, the, the thing I'll say, though, too, is players in that locker room are also used to Baker speaking his mind. And I'm not sitting here saying, hey, don't do that. I'm just saying how I, I liked it approach because, I, listen, when I was in the locker room in Philadelphia, we had a bunch of A personalities out there, but a lot of times they, they left things in the locker room. Uh, Baker, listen, I think players, uh, I, I think he's a good leader. I think players like to follow him. I think he's a fiery guy. I think he gets that team going and he speaks his mind. He speaks his mind. So from that side of it, I can't sit there and say, wow, the, the, the stifle a guy from speaking his mind. Again, I think the approach could be a little different, but you know what? Everybody is different. And I think in today's world, you get guys speaking up a little more. I don't think that's going to change. So the one thing I will say, it's not like there's going to be surprise in that locker when they get asked questions. I said it'll, the questions will go to other players, but they're kind of used to that. And this is a team, they know who they are this year. They're not really blowing anybody out, right? I think we we're a little more surprised than anything else that they had a 24-6 lead at halftime, right? This offense isn't a juggernaut offense. This is an offense led by running. Baker's year, it's not been a monster passing year, not like last year, I think, when it was, what, 28 touchdowns or whatever, had that big, big passing year. That's not this year for them. They are going to have to gut out and scratch out wins, you know, and, and hopefully do it with more defense as well. And a good running game or a great running game and a complimentary passing game. That's their team this year. So I think their their games are going to be more closer than not, than 24 to 6 leads. They're going to be more dogfights. And I think Baker definitely has the personality of a dogfight because that's kind of what he is. He's kind of a scratch and claw guy to get it done. So I guess that's what I'll say. There's, As I said, there's always two sides to a coin. The other side is players know Baker Mayfield and know how he speaks, but they know him more in that locker room better than anybody else. Ravens finished the season with three of the four final games at home. They've got Packers in Baltimore at the Bengals, Rams and Steelers at home to finish the season. So that gives them a little bit of an advantage, but it's not going to be easy, not with the injuries and not with those teams they're playing. For the Browns, it's the three games we mentioned. Raiders at the Packers at the Steelers. Final game of the season, a visit from the Cincinnati Bengals, a team the Browns blew out earlier this year. And the Bengals, Mike, it was all right there for them. It was there. They knew that the Ravens had lost. They knew that a win would technically put them in first place because they've already beaten the Ravens once. Yes, there'll be a rematch, but at least for now you can say you're technically in first place. It was there, and they were down 20-6, to six, and they fought their way back. And what a game that was. And it was playing out at the same time as Bill's Bucks. It's unfortunate because I don't think people got to appreciate 49ers-Bengals the way they should have. That was a dramatic back and forth. Either team could have won it down to the wire and into overtime type of a game. Oh, listen, to get to where they were, to where that game was, as you mentioned, 20-6, to six, uh, you know, and, and the fans in that stand going, oh, my God, you know, here's, here's our chance in this game. And look at us, we're getting – we're getting blown out. And then to bring it all the way back, score 14, outscore San Fran 14 to zip in the fourth quarter to tie that one up and send it in overtime. It's about momentum. And you think about the momentum that they had uh, going into overtime, uh, that they thought, okay, it doesn't matter where you start. It matters where you finish. And they look good in this one in where they were going into overtime. But listen, give San Fran on the road uh, credit for what the Ayuk uh, touchdown run was was fantastic to get it right inside the pylon uh, to end that one. What a what a phenomenal play that was! Uh, what what an incredible athlete! Great, great feet starting you know, on the sideline and then getting that ball in. 
But, uh, you know, you, you, you look at this game and Cincinnati had their chance and, and we just talked about that division and the rest of the games they have. I think it kind of encapsulates the season is you're not sure which one you're going to get. You know, you're going to get the good team, you're going to get the not so good team, or you're going to get the bad team. Which one do you get? We've not only seen this out of Cincinnati, we've seen this out of other teams, the Bills, you know, teams that have been playing better that we're expecting more out of in this one. So and, but I, I love the, the the defense for a while in this game. I think there were 10 sacks in this game, five on each side. San Francisco did a nice job of not really letting uh, Cincinnati get their running game going. They were held, I think, to 80-some yards, uh, a little over three yards a carry. So I think they did a nice job stopping the run. Again, you build up a lead, you force a team to pass a little more. But still, I thought the Bengals split the run in the pass pretty good. They didn't panic and were able to come back in this one, just couldn't close the deal. So kudos to Sam Fran for doing that on the road. Well, Bengals got the gift at the end of regulation. Great catch by George Kittle, puts the 49ers right. in field goal range. Robbie Gould misses the kick. By the way, George Kittle, the first tight end in NFL history to have 150 or more receiving yards and a touchdown in back-to-back games. And sometimes these stats get very specific. The NFL does a good job of parsing through them, but still, that's pretty damn impressive that nobody's ever done that. 150 or more and a touchdown in two straight games for a tight end. Unprecedented for NFL history. And Kittle, when he's healthy and he's on Mike. He's a guy that can elevate an entire organization. He is one of the, I I think, most important players they have because of his fire, his desire, his, it's just contagious enthusiasm. They they go as far as he can take them and as long as he can stay healthy. Oh, listen, I agree. I mean, look at the game he had, look at the game Mark Andrews had. We've been talking about you know, Kittle and Kelsey in the last couple of years as being the best tight end. Gronk is back playing now, and, you know, at, at times he's playing dominant as well. But I, I don't think there's anything like a great tight end that could run the field. And also, by the way, <laughs> can Kittle block as well. But when you get a guy that's such a mismatch and you just put that ball up in the air and he's the one that's going to be able to go the highest to get it, what a monster game uh, that, that he had. And you're right. I mean, he is he is without question the linchpin to that offense. Here's Zach Taylor, coach of the Bengals, talking about the difficulties that they encountered when trying to deal with George Kittle. We tried everything. Um, he, he's one of the, the best tight ends. I, we've known that for a long time. And, um, you know, he, he had similar production last week. I think he almost had 200 yards receiving. And it's, it's not like he surprises people. Um, you saw the catch he, he made that almost almost won them the game in regulation that put them in field goal range. I mean, w- when a guy is is that explosive and that big, that good of hands, that catch radius, he, he makes a lot of plays. And, and I promise you, we tried like hell to take him away, and um, he just he finds a way to make those plays. Zach Taylor feeling some regret about his play calling in overtime as well, Mike. And it, it's a very simple play sheet the Bengals get the ball at their own 25 after kickoff touchback first play 26 yard pass to T Higgins puts the ball on the San Fran 49 then they try to run it with Joe Mixon doesn't go anywhere enough of that a 23 yard pass to CJ Uzama puts the ball at the San Fran 26 then they ran it twice gained four then three from the 26 to the 22 to the 19 Burrow got sacked on third and three kicked the field goal opened the door for that 49ers drive to win the game with a touchdown. We don't see that very often where the opening drive results in the field goal, doesn't end the game. Other team gets a chance to match or beat it. And that's what the 49ers are able to do. Yeah. You know, they, they got down there in good field goal range and got a little conservative with a couple of runs, right. To make sure they stayed in field goal range, didn't turn the ball over when they had passed to get down there and try and get in the end zone you know, and, and get that score right off the bat in that first drive. So, yeah, I, I could see why, you know, there's always those what ifs, especially when obviously when it doesn't work out, hindsight's always 2020 thinking you're going to want to do something different. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, in pro sports, you got a game the next week, you're not going to have a whole lot of time to figure that out, but you do put it in the memory banks if you get in that situation again. Yeah, absolutely. And the Bengals now who could have been in first place in the AFC North, are now number nine in the <laughs> AFC. And, and this is going to change every week. You're going to see these huge swings. And it, it, it it's, it's both fascinating and, I think, mind-numbing as we're going to watch these 
teams go up and down and over and around. We're really not going to know. And, Mike, one thing that fascinates me, they didn't play yesterday. They played Thursday night and almost got the victory. The Steelers with that 6-6-1, and one, I think that and one is going to be a factor one way or the other. The Steelers are just going to miss a spot because of the and one, or they're going to leapfrog a cluster of tiebreaker possibilities because you're going to have all these teams that finish nine and eight and the Steelers are going to be nine, seven and one. Not that I, I don't, I, you know, or something like that. Who, who knows what they're going to do? Um, I, I know everyone's writing them off and that's a dangerous thing to do with the Steelers, but that and one gut feeling deep in the <laughs> bowels of my existence. I believe that and one is going to be a difference maker for the Steelers or for whoever gets in instead of the Steelers. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's going to be for the Steelers. I just still don't think they're going to have enough. But, I mean, I sit there and say that, and they're right there. You look at the seventh seed right now at seven and six in Buffalo. The next teams are Cleveland, Cincinnati, Denver, all sitting at seven and six as well. And then, as you talk about the Steelers, at six, six, and one. So, this is going to change. I mean, as we said, remember, the uh, the – Browns and the Ravens still have to pay the Green Bay Packers who are playing for that number one seed. So we always wonder toward the end of the season, how does the team approach things as they get closer to the playoffs? And Green Bay wants that number one seed. You know, Green Bay has already beaten Cincinnati. So, you know, and, and though I'm sure it'd be favored against both Cleveland and both Baltimore, especially this week if Lamar doesn't play. So it, it's going, there's going to be more losses in store in that division. So there's going to be some shifting still to go on. By the way, we're so caught up in Cardinals-Rams tonight, which obviously has major implications in the NFC. Sneaky great game looming on Thursday night as the Chargers and the Chiefs get together again. Chargers trying to chase down Kansas City for the division crown in the AFC West. Let's take a break. When we return, Mike McCarthy called his shot and his team delivered. Another situation, though, where big lead almost was squandered as the Cowboys took on Washington and got the victory. We'll talk about that next on this Monday edition of Pro Football Talk Live. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.